I had a wide variety of educational experiences. When I was uh, five years old, my parents put me in a elementary school just down the street from our house, and I was there kindergarten through fifth grade. But then when I went into sixth grade, we uh, changed directions, and I was homeschooled from sixth through tenth grade. Some of you are sitting here going, that makes so much sense now. He was homeschooled. It makes total sense. And because I was homeschooled, I can make that joke. Uh, And then when I was a junior and senior, I went back and went to a private Christian high school. So I kind of had a little bit of experience in all three of those different worlds. But I, I can remember when I was homeschooled, my mom had a degree in education, which set her up to do a great job. And so on a regular basis, we would do this thing called word of the day. And she would teach us these random vocabulary words to expand our vocabulary. And and some of them stuck with me. And one of the ones that stuck with me was this word, this word, pulchritudinous. And my mom told me, like, hey, if you ever like a Girl Scout, tell her she's pulchritudinous. And I'm like, why would I do that? I don't want to get slapped. I mean, I told one of our volunteers today they were pulchritudinous, and she gave me the evil eye. But the thing is, pulchritudinous means beautiful. It's actually a compliment. It's one of those words that does not at all sound like what it means. And I discovered that there's lots of words like that, like this word, formication. It's not another word that your mind instantly went to instead of this word. We're in church, let's be honest. But, but formication is that abnormal sensation as of ants creeping on your skin. Some of you just got like the shivers, like that's the feeling of formication. I hope that isn't the thing you remember from this sermon, but, but that's on me. That's not on you. And then the, the, the last word I wanted to share you is the word crapulous. Now, now you might think that that word has to do with some slang, and it's not. It's actually an experience you've all had and you will have in about six or seven weeks on Thanksgiving. Crapulous is that terrible feeling when you eat way too much. So when you get done with your meal on Thanksgiving and you lay back on the couch and you just say, hey, man, I just feel so crapulous right now. Like nobody's going to know what you what you mean. But that's that's your word that I'm teaching you today. Now, with each of these words, there's a reason other than to get you laughed to get started. We're in a series where we're talking about the power and the meaning of the words we choose. We're in this series called The Core, where we're exploring the things that we value most as a church, and we're talking about the specific words that we've chose to represent the things that matter most to us. And if you've missed any of this series, I encourage you to go on our website and go back and watch the previous messages. But in week one, we talked about the fact that we value as a church surrendering to Jesus' agenda and submitting to Scripture, that we're not here to advance any of our singular agendas And we're not taking our cues about what to believe or what to say or how to think or how to live from polls or just the current subculture. We're opening up scripture. We're saying, God, lead us, guide us. We're submitting to you. In week two, we talked about the fact that we're we're valuing fighting for simplicity. And what that means is that we've got a simple focus to see lives transformed. We believe that our church exists to help people take their next step with Jesus. And to do that, we've got to keep a simple focus and not allow busyness or even good opportunities to get in the way of that. We also value equipping people to live out their faith in public. So we want to provide you with incredible experiences and teach you in contexts like this. But that's not the end. The end is that you'd step out of a context like this. And in the places where you live and work and study and play, you'd live that out. And our goal is to equip you for that. 
Last week we said that we value practicing unity in a divided world. The easier thing would just be to join the division, embrace the division, and advance the division. But we're saying, no, we're called to something else. If Jesus' last prayer for us was to be unified as he and his father are unified, then we have to practice unity even if things are divided. And then we said we value pursuing health together. None of us are healthy, but we believe that Jesus is the true source of healing. And so we're going to welcome people who are hurting. We're going to be honest about places where we're not unhealthy, and we're going to look to Jesus together for him to make us healthy and whole. If you've missed any of those values or you want to dig deeper into the scriptures that undergird those, we'd encourage you to go on our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash values, and you'll find all of those there. But today we're talking about our seventh and eighth values. And those are this. If you've got a copy of the handout, you can fill in some blanks and follow along. Our seventh and eighth value are these, that we value empowering the next generation now and we value getting uncomfortable for Prescott and the world. Those are our seventh and eighth values. And I'll just remind you, again, if you haven't been here, we're not listing these in orders of importance. We're just trying to tie them together where there's a thematic connection. And so we're going to tackle these one at a time today. The first one is that we value empowering the next generation now. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go to almost the very back of your Bible to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is one of two books, as you might be able to tell, because there's a one before Timothy. There are two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man that he was mentoring, that he was functioning as a spiritual father for, a man named Timothy. And Paul, before he dies, he writes these letters to Timothy to impart really important wisdom to him, because Timothy was on a trajectory to play a leadership role in the church. And, and Paul wanted to commend him and challenge him and speak to him in some specific ways. And I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Version, uh, verses 12 through 16. If you want to follow on the screens, if you don't have a Bible, you can do that. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading exhortation, which is a Bible word for encouragement, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, what Paul is saying to Timothy fits in the grander context of the 66 books in the Bible. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, you may be of a certain age where you feel a sense of insecurity or others feel like you haven't yet arrived at a, the right age to be used by God. But Paul very clearly says to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Other translations may say, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. What, what Paul is trying to say to Timothy is there is no minimum age for when you can influence others. 
going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, there's a young man named Samuel who's maybe double digits in age, but just barely, and he goes into the temple, and God speaks a word to Samuel that he delivers to the prophet and priest Eli. And God's mouthpiece in that time wasn't the prophet who was older and wiser. It was this young boy, Samuel. The Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, when he first started following Jesus, it's very likely that he was 15 or 16 years old. And so in Scripture, there is this reminder that there's not a certain age where, boom, now you're that age, now God can use you. No, no, there's no minimum age upon which you have to hit to be used by God. I will also say there's not a maximum age either. Caleb at 85 in the book of Joshua says, give me the hardest task. Because if I'm not dead, then God's not done with me. And what we see in this message to Timothy is some messages that are important if you are a young person. But they're also relevant no matter what your age is. He says, pay attention to your gift and talent and to your character. He says, watch your life, but also watch your teaching." And we're seeing great examples of leaders in the church today who would be wise to heed this message. They've got incredible charisma and giftedness. They can teach, but their life is not one that you would want to mimic in any way. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is he's saying, I want to empower you to right now not be looked down on or looked down on yourself because of your age, but recognize you have an opportunity to be used by God so pay attention not just to what you teach and your giftedness, but pay attention to your character. And this is such a pivotal message. Because even back then and all the way till now, there is often a culture in the church that's kind of like what happens when you go to the deli counter at the grocery store. And you pull a number and you wait your turn. So often in the church, we say, hey, yeah, you can wait your turn, and when you're older, then you can lead, or then you can have influence. Hey, when you're a certain age, then you can be a part of shaping the future of the church. I can remember as a teenager, I had a pivotal experience where the culture of the church I was in was so counter to this. Right at the end of my eighth grade year, we lost our beloved student pastor. Um, he, we, the two things I remember about him is that everybody loved him, and he loved Pepsi. I mean, he drank cases of the stuff. I'm sure now he's putting his dentist in a Jaguar with the cost of his dentist bills, but, but he just loved Pepsi and he loved us. And so we were devastated. But, but there was an opportunity when he left for us to step up and take leadership. And it was in the two years while we looked for our next student pastor that myself and my friends began to have our first opportunities to lead. The very first time I ever taught the Bible was to, to my peers in my ninth and 10th grade years. It was the very beginning of me discovering, hey, God might have something for me in this. And over those two years, as we took leadership of our own student ministry, we saw our group double in those two years without a leader, a staff person over us. And it was a huge huge opportunity for me, and I'm so glad that church didn't believe that there was a minimum age you had to be for God to use you. But if you fast forward, I, I went on staff in my 20s at a much larger church, and I had a very different experience. The door wasn't open, the door was locked shut. 
if you weren't over the age of 55, you didn't hold any significant leadership role both on the staff or on the board. In fact, I heard people say, no, yeah, young people don't get the influence around here because they don't give enough. If you tithe, then you can, you can make decisions. And in that environment, I got so frustrated because I felt like I wasn't old enough to be used by God, and yet I would read passages like this, and i go, man, there's no, there's no minimum age. And that's why I was so gratified when I stepped into Cornerstone that the culture of Cornerstone was one in which there was a value before it was ever stated on paper of empowering the next generation now. I saw that on Sunday mornings we didn't have student programming so that students could serve. And today, in our children's ministry, half of those who volunteer in children's ministry are under the age of 18. On Sunday morning, I can remember vividly, we were still at Yavapai College, and uh, on the stage over here was a student who was playing the role of music director. They were directing the band and directing the music. They weren't the ones singing, but they were the ones really was moving things, making them happen. Back on the back at the audio board position we call A1, there was a student under the age of 18 who was running everything that you could hear. And then upstairs in the camera area, working with the live stream so that over 100 people could watch from home, there was another student under the age of 18. We would not have had church that day if those three minors had believed that they could only have minor influence in the kingdom of God. And so as a church, over the last few months, as we've been wrestling with our values, this value of empowering the next generation now came to be, and I want to walk you through the language we've written. We say, as young adults are abandoning their faith in high school and college, we seek to equip and empower the next generation to serve and lead today. The next generation is not going to wait around until they turn 25 or 30 or have kids to play a role. They'll just go play that somewhere else. And so we want to empower the next generation now to not only serve, but also play leadership roles. And so in our student ministry, we're seeing students who are taking responsibility now, serving on the student pan, which becomes an opportunity for them one day to step in and lead on Sunday mornings. Students who figure out how to run a soundboard on Wednesday nights then are running a soundboard on Sunday mornings. Students who are serving in service projects once are now stepping up and serving every week on Sunday morning. In our Cornerstone Kids Ministry, this fall, we're equipping families to activate the times when you have dinner to use that as an opportunity to begin equipping and empowering your kids now with the faith that they will need to one day own when they're no longer under your roof. We say we invest in our children and students, inspiring them to own and guiding them to practice their faith in real and meaningful ways. It's not enough to tell somebody who's young what they should believe. That, that, that's not enough. We have to actually inspire them to be able to own that for themselves and then help them and guide them to practice it. So that they have very real experiences, not only owning their faith and expressing it in their own language, but practicing it and living it out in the world. And that's why our goal is each week we seek to have students visibly serving in the life of our church. Because unless students see other students that are serving, they're not going to believe us when we say we empower the next generation now. Because all of us do what students do. They listen to what you say, but they watch what you do. And they believe what you do more than what you say. 
as the famous poet once said, what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you say. And so if we're going to empower a generation now, and they need to see their peers serving and leading and contributing, and they may be the next generation, but this has to now be their moment. And we value that. The second thing we want to talk about when it comes to our values today is getting uncomfortable for Prescott and the world. Getting uncomfortable for Prescott and the world. If you have your Bible open, if you'll head a little bit towards the front to the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, we were in 1 Corinthians last Sunday, and I told you that the church at Corinth was one of the most dysfunctional churches in the Bible. But by the time Paul writes the second letter we have to the church in Corinth, the church has experienced radical transformation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20, what Paul does is he reminds them of the calling that God has on their life that is bigger than them and is outside of them. And here's what he says. He says, so from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul was pleading with and calling the church in Corinth and echoing across 2,000 years to us today, to see our purpose as bigger than us, and to set aside our comforts and our self-focus to recognize our calling. Now, one of the largest challenges facing the American church today is the problem of consumerism. And everywhere we go in this culture, we bring with us and we encounter a consumer mindset. It's, it's literally like we're fish and it's the water we swim in. We're just unaware of it. It's our reality all the time, everywhere we go. And it informs the language that we use. Some of you moved to Prescott from somewhere else. And what did you say to people? Oh, I'm shopping for a new church. Like you're shopping at a store. So often when people leave a church, the things they talk about are, well, it just wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't getting fed there. I just, I wasn't experiencing this peace. What they were doing wasn't what I wanted to be receiving. And friends, that's the language of, of consumerism. In many ways, the last 18 months hasn't helped us. Because for a bulk of the last 18 months, we've sat at home and we've literally consumed church. The way we watch Netflix or a football game. Now, I, I believe in the power of online ministry because we have seen people who've come to Christ, get baptized, begin serving, get reconnected to the church through this medium. And so if you're watching from home, I'm not here to blast this medium or announce that we're dropping it. 
I'm just here to warn you that the possibility is, is that that medium could begin to transform your church experience and you begin to think that because you watched something, you've had a full church experience. And it's just not the same. And sometimes we become very passive in our experience of church and we move from being contributors to being consumers. And if you go back to the very beginning of this church, Cornerstone Church, 1989 in Prescott, the summer of 1989 to be exact, part of why this church was formed was there was a passion and a calling to influence and impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go all the way back to the beginning of our church and across our 32-year history, there is a, a thread that goes the whole way across different locations and different leaders and it's a belief that what starts in Prescott can transform the world. And that we don't just exist for ourselves, but we exist for the world. And in recent years, that's, that's culminated in our belief that we need to set aside 15% of every general dollar given to the church for missions causes locally, regionally, and globally. And what that meant was in 2020, over $150,000 that was given at Cornerstone went to those causes. But in addition to having a heart for the world, there's also this beating heart for this community that we live in. Last year, 19,000 people moved to the Quad Cities area for the first time. That's a 15% increase. And if you live in Prescott Valley and you want to go on a drive, you have no idea how many houses are being built in Prescott Valley. There's a development in Dewey that will have over 2,000 new homes. And friends, if we just exist for ourselves, we will miss the opportunity that God is putting in front of us as thousands of people move into this community, look to start over. Many of them, like happened to you, find that what you plan for this experience to be, it won't be. Because life never goes according to your plans. And there'll be openness and opportunities everywhere to let people know that you are for them and that there's a Jesus that's for them too. And so our value of getting uncomfortable for Prescott and the world is expressed like this. All too often the church is known for what it's against. We want to be known for something different, our love and care for people. We call this mindset for Prescott and for the world. And this happened just on Friday. Earlier this summer, one of our staff members ended up in the ER. I, I was in the ER too, but I missed this because I went in the middle of the night and it was a very quiet time. This staff member ended there with a family member and it was just chaos. And he came back to us and said, hey, I feel like there's an opportunity to, to love and serve the staff members in the ER because I just could see the exhaustion there. And so we actually have somebody who attends the church who works in the ER. And so I messaged her and said, hey, this is what our staff member experienced is that reality and she said yeah totally most of what's stretching us is not covid now it's population growth and so we began brainstorming and a person who attends cornerstone made a very generous gift and so on friday we rolled into the er department with four carts filled with over 900 snacks a hundred handwritten cards written by our students and our kids 70 coffee cards, because every nurse could use some coffee, and we delivered them to the staff of the emergency department. And not only was there smiles and laughs and conversations, 
But what happened after we left was that staff member at the hospital who also attends Cornerstone began to have very different conversations with her coworkers about our church because our church was now for them. And the invitations that she'd been making for a long time, there was a new openness to. Because they actually believed her when she said that her church loved their community. And that's why we're for Prescott and for the world, is that when people discover that we are for them, it's easier for them to believe that Jesus is for them too. Yeah, we can do some clapping on day. Just as Jesus was sent into the world because of God's love, we have been sent into the world to share the good news of God's love too. Now, I know many of you have heard John 3.16 enough times to your blue in the face, but I want to point something out that I think a lot of us miss. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent Jesus into the world on purpose and for a purpose. And right before he returned to heaven, this is what Jesus said about us, his disciples. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. All of us are sent. We're sent. We're in this world for a purpose, on purpose. We're not here by accident. And just as God sent Jesus into the world. He sent us into the world. Now, none of you are the Savior. None of you need to die on the cross for the world. But he was sent on mission, and you and I have been sent on mission too. And as sent people with this mindset, we embrace spirit-led opportunities where we leave behind our comfort, and we serve others, and we share the gospel. And what this language means, reflecting John 3 and John 20, is that every day there are big and small ways for us to live sent. There are people that we are around in our neighborhoods, as we shop, as we do our hobbies, as we go to work, as we attend school. There are people there that in big ways and small ways, we can get uncomfortable so that they discover that we are for them and there's a God that's for them. They're big ways. We talked about for Prescott Month. That might be a big way for you. It might be a big thing for you to, to volunteer on a Sunday morning. It might be a big thing for you to, to walk over and introduce yourself to your neighbor. But there are small ways too. Listening to somebody when you disagree with them. Hearing them out when they have a burden they need to unload. Notice that there's something off about them from one day to the next. Connecting with them and paying attention to them when you're with them. And over the last few months, we became aware of a story here at Cornerstone of somebody who did just that. There's a guy named Chris who attends our church, and he's been friends with a guy named Mike for a long time. And during the craziness and challenge of the last 18 months, Chris got uncomfortable and began to show Mike in new ways about a God that was for him. Our very own Jerry Grober worked with us to turn this story into a video. And I want you to meet Mike and Chris and hear their story today. Watch the screen.
been friends for a long time, um, over a decade, approximately a decade, over yeah, a decade now, years. and uh, we've been going to lunch with friends, and it was COVID time, and weird things were happening in the world, and we ended up after lunch with lunch with our friends, we ended up continuing to chat outside the, the restaurant, and, you know, we get coffee and sandwiches, because the restaurants were all shutting down at that time, so we ended up starting outside at the park and just um, got together and a lot of you know sometimes it was getting into the word for a long time sometimes it was a lot of just chatting about things in life and both of us had life decisions going on inside our families and things like that so we were just encouraging each other there yeah of course you know to reiterate we were longtime friends I always knew of Chris's deep Christian faith and committed Christian faith and and it was always inspiring to me, um, but not, you know, something I ever took time to dive into in, in my adult life. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, the opportunity when life had brought a lot of challenges uh, because I think I was so heavily reliant on, on myself and very self-centered, very prideful, and, and I had gone down some some wrong roads absolutely and uh, but was finding my way back from that and uh, it was a long long challenging time in my life but then we we got into um, you know some discussion of faith I think is how it kind of went and and so Chris offered this opportunity to hey why don't we get together and uh, and talk and you can ask me questions about my faith and out time for that uh, but but it really was such a blessing that he offered and that I accepted and, and we started you know it's all about putting it on the calendar for me it just became a routine you know Chris you know gifted me the uh, this Bible and uh, and we just started working through mark and and so it just gave us an opportunity to be able to you know find that uh, common ground, something to center our conversations with, of course, as we usually do, we get into many topics, you know, all of them, what I realized, come back to here, which was the fantastic part about this opportunity was, you know, it, it all ties back to scripture, and the answers are here, and that was the funny part for me, is like, you know, okay, I'm asking questions, and I realized, for, for me, it was my whole life, I've been asking all these questions, wanting to question, you know, the authority of, of the Bible and the authority of Jesus, and I, I wasn't listening to the answers. I think that was what my clarity was through this process, was that, you know, it's fine to ask questions, but you also have to listen to the answers, and that's uh, what Chris helped me to do, I think. Another thing that was going on, too, is that I was recalling is that in that time, church was all digital, all online. Right. So part of what we did was we're going through this, but somewhere in there too, I, I think I encouraged you or asked you or we agreed to or what have you and started watching services together. And I think that, I think you told me at one point like it was a good thing because it would have been really hard for you to accept an invitation to like come into, hey, come to meet me Sunday morning at, I don't know, 10, 
845, you know, <laughs> yep. for the 9 o'clock service and coming, I think, would have been a, a difficult step for you. I think you shared that with me at one oh, time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so this was a good chance for, you know, Mike to see, like, oh, wow, there's it's not this, like, church wasn't maybe as scary as some people might think it is. You know, I mean, this was uh, a big part of what the road to Christ has been is, is my family and uh, the difficulties that I brought on myself. Um, you know, I, I mean, more or less lost my family because of choices I had made. And I had, uh, you know, I had found myself, yeah, essentially kind of at rock bottom. Um, outwardly, you wouldn't know that about where I was, you know, because, I mean, we're all good at putting on a show and putting on, you know, the best face we can, even though inside we're hurting. Chris and I started talking. I was able to put my family back together, so that was, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago. And, um, yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Your story is exciting. It's an exciting story of, you know, what God can do. Really, what the Lord asked to do is that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and one of the best ways to do that is to pray. And we, you know, we, what are we praying? We're trusting that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that that's how we become followers of him. That's our only way to heaven because we're, that's the only way we can be redeemed. And, and, and the way we do that is through a prayer, a heartfelt, honest prayer. And we, you know, and so we did that verbally right there at the table. You've talked about this for months. This this? Is this something you believe? Do you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus? And you said yes, but and I think, I don't know how you phrased it, but it was kind of like that, I do. How does that work? Well, we just thank you for today. Just thank you for uh, the birds that were here today and just your beautiful creation uh, that you've given us. Lord, we just thank you for, for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that um, through the work of your Holy Spirit, Father, that, um, that the Holy Spirit is moving and active and uh, was working in Mike's life. I'm just grateful uh, that somebody who didn't know how it was going to go when they offered their friend a Bible and a chance to meet loved their friend more than they loved their own comfort. And that's what happens in all of our lives is that we have to decide, do we like being comfortable more than we want to be a part of what God's doing? And so today I want to share some next steps with you that I think will lead you to take some similar steps that you saw play out in that video. The first one is I, I want to invite you to look for small ways to leverage your voice and your presence. If you're not a student or maybe just getting into your 20s, you can probably remember some pivotal conversations that happened with people when you were in that period, both good and bad. It's funny how even one word or one sentence or one conversation with a teacher or a parent or a coach will stick with you for decades. 
You don't have to give a long soliloquy or deliver a 35-minute sermon. You don't have to have all the answers. But all of us are where we are because some people along the way chose to use their voice and their presence in our lives for a purpose. So I just want you to deal with whoever it is that's in your life that is part of that category of the next generation. I want to invite you to just look for small ways to use your voice and your presence for their good and choose to be part of helping them and empowering them as opposed to disempowering them and holding them back. Number two, I, I want to invite you to get involved in Fort Prescott Month and serving on Sunday. As I mentioned, out in the lobby, when you leave today, there's a big board out there that you can sign up for projects. If you're watching online, it's our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash Prescott. And uh, we've got more projects, but we want to make sure that we can staff the ones that we've already released. And so if we can staff those this week, we have some others in development that we can roll out next week. And again, that website is there. Also, we want to encourage you that uh, we're excited to go back to the college, but I will just tell you, it's a bigger space, which means it takes more people. And there are a lot of people who've been getting uncomfortable for a long time that would love some people to get uncomfortable with them. And we'd encourage you that if you've been impacted and in some ways you've consumed what others have contributed, how can you be part of contributing so other people can experience that as well? And then number three, look for opportunities to get uncomfortable and share the gospel. There is this weird stigma in the church that if God is in something, the longer you go, the easier it gets. And that just doesn't work in the pages of this. The sign of God being in something is not that everything is getting smoother and easier. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the bulk of the New Testament, would have some serious questions about that reality because that was far from his experience. When he committed to share the gospel, everything got harder. And so if we're going to change and impact this world, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to challenge us to love people and love Christ and love his mission more than we love our comfort. And Mike would be where Mike is today if God hadn't used the discomfort of Chris in his life. And I think there's probably people in your life that are like Mike too. How can you get uncomfortable to share the gospel with them? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the clarity that you've given us as a church about what matters most to us. And now the challenge is we have to live it. It's not enough to say that we value these things in the same way that a generation is looking at us and saying, hey, do you really practice what you preach? Are you really going to live out the, say, the things you say you believe? We now that we have said these are the things we value, we now have the challenge of taking these values and embodying them. And Jesus, we're inevitably going to discover that there's nothing that we perfectly live out. All of us are imperfect examples. All of us fail to practice what we preach. But in those moments when we discover a gap, Jesus, you long for us to meet you in humility and repentance. Because your grace is more than sufficient for our weaknesses. Your mercy is more than sufficient for our mistakes and our sin. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is conviction, there is repentance, and there are fresh chances. But Jesus, we pray that we would come to you today longing to be used and humble enough to recognize that there's still some places you need to do that work even in us. So we pray that you meet us here as we celebrate and reflect on what you've done for us. In your name we pray, amen.